Good morning. <coughs> Sorry, I'm a bit croaky, but I hope you can hear me. Okay, my title this morning is, It's an Inside Job. So, it's an inside job because we're family together, but it's an inside job in each individual's heart. <coughs> you know, when the Israelites were being prepared to go into the promised land, on the two occasions, the first time they didn't make it, so it had to be repeated the second time around for the next generation, there were two things that God instructed them to do. One was to take a census of all the men over 20 who could be the, the warriors, the fighting men. And there were over 600,000 fighting men ready to go into battle, ready to take possession of the promised land. But the second thing he said was that they were to sort themselves out. He said, I want a holy people going in to the promised land. He demanded holiness because he wanted them to represent him. They were a set-apart people. It wasn't that they were going to be perfect. We're not going to be perfect. But God does tell us that we are called to be holy, set apart for service to him, set apart to be different. They were going into pagan nations where all sorts of idolatry, all sorts of immorality, all sorts of stuff was going on. And he didn't want to isolate them, but he wanted to insulate them. He wanted to protect them from the outside influences. And he wanted his people to be an influence for good in those pagan nations. So he called the warriors to take their position, and he called the people, the nation of Israel, to be a holy people. And it's the same for us today. God wants us to live out a godly lifestyle in the midst of everything going on around us. And we know that, you know, even... Since I was growing up in the 50s, teenager in the 60s, society has changed completely, and it goes on changing, and not necessarily for good. So we need to be a people who represent God in our families, in our communities, in our workplace, and be different, be different, and be influencers. But it wasn't just for the Old Testament because in 1 Peter 2, we read, Dear brothers and sisters, you are foreigners and aliens here. So I warn you to keep away from evil desires, because they fight against your very souls. Be careful then how you live. Even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will believe and give honor to God when he comes to judge the world. So it wasn't an Old Testament thing. It was a New Testament thing, and our God doesn't change. So it's a today thing for us. So how do we become a holy people? Well, it's an inside job. Matthew 15, verses 10 and 11 says, I'm going to be in your way, aren't I? 
Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. So that's the crux of the matter. Verse 18 goes on to say, The words you speak come from the heart, and that is what defiles you. What does it mean to be defiled? It means to spoil or to mar, to, to harm something that's sacred. And we don't want to do that. You know, we're set apart to worship our God, to represent our God. We don't want to spoil our witness and our testimony to a powerful, holy God. Another scripture that emphasizes this is Matthew 12, verse 33, that says, A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. And then he's talking to the Pharisees here when he says, You brood of snakes. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. And actually, it determines more than what we say. It determines our responses. It determines our reactions. It determines our attitude. And it determines our behavior. So it's not just words. It's a lot more than words. It goes on to say, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. A treasury is a storehouse. What's stored in our hearts? Quite a challenge, isn't it? Our words and our deeds reflect what is stored in the treasury of our hearts. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, so the stakes are very, very high. We are able with our words to build people up, to affirm them, to encourage them, to bless them, to appreciate them. And on the other side, we are able to destroy people by what we say. Put-downs, criticism, mocking, sarcasm. We can destroy people's confidence. We can destroy their potential. We can destroy their identity. We have to be very, very careful to guard what's in our hearts, so that we don't damage other people's hearts. The other thing about it, of course, is that our words affect us. There are consequences. Matthew 12 says that you must give an account on judgment day of every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. So we have a responsibility before God to make sure that we check our hearts and our mouths. And actually, we put our brains in gear before we loose our tongue. So why is it that very often, and for all of us, there are negative things in the treasury, in the storehouse? Well, usually it's because we've been wounded. Usually it's because there's pain in there. 
And you know, God doesn't want us to have pain in our hearts. He wants us to be whole. We can be hurt by what other people say, by what, the, uh, by what other people do. It's not just words, it's actions, it's attitudes. And we can hurt others. And I know I've hurt other people by what I've said, by my attitudes, by my behavior, body language. And I've been hurt. And every single one of us can say, yeah, me too. But God doesn't want us to stay that way. What we do have to remember is that hurting people hurt people. And we don't know what's been spoken over people who hurt us. We don't know why they behave like they do. We don't know why they're out to get at us or hurt us. But you know, they might not know either. But the important thing is that God does know. God knows everything about every single person on planet Earth. He knows what happened to you before you were born even. He says to Jeremiah, doesn't he, I knew you before you were conceived in your mother's womb, before you were formed in your mother's womb. He knows what's been spoken over you, even when you were in the womb. And you know, if we ask him, he can reveal, and he will reveal, what those things are, so that he can take us on a journey of healing. Negative things stored in our hearts cause us to be bitter, resentful, angry, lacking in self-confidence. They might cause us to be a bully or to be abusive in our behavior. They might cause us to become addicts because we just want to run away. We want to not face up to reality. Very often we're unable to form lasting relationships. There's often fear, hard-heartedness, judging and criticizing. Because if we can't find value in ourselves, we've got to destroy other people. It can lead to immoral behavior because we're so craving for love that we'll do anything to get it. And we don't realize that we're looking in the wrong place and in the wrong way for a love that God wants to give us. And all these things can be a result of what's happened to us on our life's journey. Rejection, isolation, abandonment, loss, abuse, betrayal, being compared to others and found wanting, sibling rivalry, inappropriate control over ourselves by other people, all sorts of things that can have happened along life's journey can influence what's in our heart and how we respond, how we react, how we behave, what we say. You know, if we've got bitterness in our hearts, it blocks perspective. We don't have a true perspective of things. Fear stops us doing things stops us stepping out and accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish. It stops us fulfilling our destiny. I've told you before how I was scared of flying. I, w I just wouldn't go anywhere. 
it stopped me from enjoying lovely holidays. Until in the end, I, I had to do it. And then I was free to go places. Hard-heartedness, it separates us because we build walls around us and we won't let people in and neither will we be real with other people. Anger, aggression, it isolates us because people never know how we're going to react. But the good thing about all this and the good news is that God knows, he sees, he cares, and he wants to sort us out. So how do we recover from all of this? Well, the first thing is to acknowledge to ourselves, to admit to ourselves that we have issues. And that's a big one. And sometimes we need somebody to give us a little bit of a prod, a little bit of a poke, to speak truth to us. And, you know, they're doing it because they love us. They're doing it because they want us to be whole. And I'm so grateful to God for the people in my life who've given me that poke who've spoken the truth to me. And you know, a few years ago, somebody challenged me about something in my life, and they said to me, why is it that you have this unnatural sense of responsibility? Why is it that everything's your fault? And it was true. And I'd never known anything different. And when I got home, I said to God, you know, well, you know, it's true what that lady said, but I don't know why I'm like that. It's just, just how I am. But it's not how God wants me to be. And as I prayed about it, he took me back to a situation in school. I talked about school before. I hated school. When I was nine years old and something happened in class, I can't tell you what it was, and maybe it's best that I don't know. Something happened in class, and I remember we were all kept in. And in the end, I put up my hand and I said, it's me. It wasn't me. And I don't know to this day why I took that blame, accepted that responsibility. But, you know, I opened a door for that to become a mindset. And God had to come in, take me back there, and heal. So he knows every hour of every day of your life. He knows what caused those things. He knows the root cause. He knows what was said. He knows what happened. And he doesn't want you to go on living in that bondage. So don't be afraid to acknowledge and don't be afraid then to ask the Holy Spirit to show you or show somebody close to you what the root cause is. You know, he's not out to beat us up. He's not angry with us. God's not angry with us. God loves us so much. And he doesn't do it to make us feel bad. He does it to make us whole in every sense of the word. So if and when something is identified, give it to Jesus and ask him to come in and sort you out and bring healing. 
Psalm 147 verse 3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And he is the only one who can do that. You know, if we break an arm or a leg or a, a wrist or, or whatever, we can go to the hospital and they'll fix it and they'll mend us. But only Jesus can mend a broken heart. Only Jesus. But we've got to bring him the pieces so he can fix us. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He so loves us. He so loves each one of us. He doesn't want us to be crushed. He doesn't want us to be broken. He wants us to be whole. There are two parts in being made whole. First of all, we're cured of the symptoms. And the symptoms, when you have a broken heart, are things like resentfulness, or resentment, better English, bitterness, anger, all those things I mentioned before. And you know we can go to anger management classes, and we can go to... Um, Narcotics Anonymous or whatever it is to deal with the symptoms and get cured but there's a second part and that's being healed and only Jesus can heal us and make us whole and there are two examples I want us to look at today the first one is in Matthew 8 verses 1 to 3 and it's where Jesus encounters a leper or the leper encounters Jesus Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared. First of all, please note, Jesus is willing Sometimes we have a mindset that tells us, I know Jesus can, but I don't know if he will. Sometimes we have a mindset that says he'll do it for this one, he'll do it for Mary, he'll do it for John, he'll do it for Tom, he'll do it for Elizabeth, he'll do it for Nancy, he'll do it for whoever, but I don't know that he'll do it for me. Let me tell you, he will do it for you. He will do it for you because he desires you. You are his desire. You are the apple of his eye. You are the one that Jesus hung on the cross for. You are the one that scripture says we are valued, we are honored, we are precious in his sight. That's you and that's me. He will do it for you. He's done it for me. He will do it for you. Please believe me. Please don't think that you don't qualify. You qualify because Jesus has qualified you. We don't qualify because we're good, and we're not disqualified because we're bad. We're not qualified because we're worthy. We're qualified because Jesus has made us worthy. Please, please believe that. 
You are worthy to be made whole, and that is God's desire for you today. <clears throat> the second thing is that as soon as he went to Jesus, he was cured of his leprosy. The symptoms left him, and he was restored, which means that a miracle of reconstruction took place because he might not have had a nose or he might have not had any fingers or toes or hands. Instantly, he was restored physically. He was cured. But more than that, what did Jesus do? He touched him. This man who hadn't been touched maybe for decades, who'd been ostracized, who'd been an outcast, who'd been unclean, who wasn't allowed to socialize with anyone, who had no self-worth, no self-value, Jesus touched him. Jesus did what nobody else had done for maybe more years than that man could remember. And in touching him, Jesus made him whole. In touching him, Jesus healed him. So he was cured of the symptoms and he was healed. His heart was healed and he was made whole. The second example I want us to look at very quickly, we all know the story, is found in Mark 5. It's the woman with the issue of blood. Again, she had been unclean. She had been unable to go to the temple, go to worship. She'd been unable to socialize. She couldn't go to the market for 12 years. 12 years. Now you think about these people now who are advised to isolate for two weeks. 12 years that lady couldn't join in with her community. And for 12 years she tried to find some way of getting healed and nothing happened. But she knew that if she went to Jesus, she would be cured. So she went up behind him, she touched the hem of the garment, and immediately the bleeding stopped. But this is the bit I want you to... Um, immediately the... Yeah. Can we have the next one, please? <laughs> and the next one. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. That was the healing. She was cured of the symptoms, the bleeding stopped. But the torment of that lady was dealt with by Jesus. The suffering that she had endured, psychological, the heartache, the heartbreak. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Those were the words that healed her. Those were the words that made her whole. <clears throat> so, Jesus is willing to heal us, but what do we have to do? We heard this morning, you know, we have a responsibility. Our part, what did the leper have? What did the woman with the issue of blood have? Faith. The leper knew that if he went to Jesus, Jesus would heal him. He had faith. He believed. 
the woman with the issue of blood, it says in one, um, one translation, she said to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. What are you saying to yourself? What am I saying to myself? Am I saying, if Jesus said it, he will do it. If Jesus promised it, he will carry it out. Are we standing in faith? Are we declaring it? Are we looking in the mirror and saying, I receive my healing, I receive my wholeness in Jesus' name. So faith, we need faith. The other thing we need to do is forgive. Forgiveness is a very, 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 very powerful force. We need to forgive the people who've damaged us. And then we need to ask God to forgive us for damaging other people. At the end of the Lord's Prayer, we read in Matthew 6 that Jesus says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. I just want to say that forgiveness is more than raising your eyes to heaven and saying, oh, sorry, God. That is not forgiveness. It is not asking for forgiveness, and it is not receiving forgiveness. Forgiveness is an absolute change of heart. Forgiveness is agreeing with God that you've done something or said something that you should not have said or done. Forgiveness is coming in line with what God says. So forgiveness is going to God and saying, I offended my brother today. I put him down by saying whatever. I made him feel stupid, small, humiliated. And I know, Father God, that that's not your way. And I confess my sin. And I ask you to forgive me. And I know that you will because it says in Scripture that if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. But there's more to it than that. Because then we say, please, Holy Spirit, would you help me to be different? Would you help me not to repeat that behavior, attitude, whatever it is? And then we're released. And when we forgive others, it's a release. It really is a release. It's a healing it's the healing. I think it's Joyce Meyer who used to say, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. We damage ourselves if we don't forgive. Forgiveness is very, very important that we choose to forgive. It's a choice. It's a decision that we make or not. So we choose to forgive those who have wounded us. And as we forgive, God will set us free from the bondages of the past. I haven't got it on the screen, but I just want to read um, a couple of verses from Luke. Luke six twenty-seven to 28. Have I got the right one? Yeah. And this is what we need to do after we've forgiven. 
But if you are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for the happiness of those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. So that's the command that Jesus gives us. To love, to pray, to bless. And so once we've forgiven, we then need to thank God for that person or those people. And you know there's always something good about everybody. We can always find good things to thank God for in people. And as we begin to thank God for them and identify the good things in them, our hearts change. And then we're told to bless them. And the biggest blessing that we could bless anyone with is that they would know God. So if we can't think of anything else, we can say, Lord, would you bless them to know you, that you are God? Would you bless them to come into a personal relationship with you through Jesus Christ? Would you bless them with good health? Would you bless them with whatever, prosperity, with a job, whatever they need? Thank God for them. There's power in thanking God. There's power in blessing. And as you do that, your heart will be healed. Then the next thing we have to do, we've emptied our heart of all the horrible things, the negative things. Now we've got to fill it. If we leave it empty, like the the passage in Scripture, isn't it, where the lady sweeps the room clean. But if you don't fill the room, then the enemy will come and fill it again, only even worse. So we need to fill our hearts with the things of God. Good fruit comes from a plant exposed to rich soil, which is fertilized by the word of God and watered and weeded and tended by the Holy Spirit. And remember, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. So, how do we fill our heart with good things? Psalm 19.14 says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation or the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So we need to take authority We need to ask the Holy Spirit for strength so that we can be self-controlled. And we need to, as I say, put our brains in gear before we open our mouths. But hopefully we'll have a rich treasury of good things in our hearts. So from our heart will come good words, good things that will build people up. Then we need to talk to God. Psalm 27 verse 8 says, My heart has heard you say, Come and talk with me. That's God calling us to come and talk with him. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. It's a matter of the heart again. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. You know, when Jesus calls us to come, how often, I've done it, oh, I'll just finish doing this. I'll just finish the end of this program. I'll just finish this chapter. I'll just finish washing up. No, no. The other morning, it must have been Tuesday night actually, I hardly slept at all for some reason, Um, 
And about six o'clock, I really felt God saying to me, I want you to get up now and prepare for life group tonight. And I got up, and I went downstairs, and I prayed and read through the notes again. I had skimmed through them before. But you know, God just, it just flowed, what I had to do, just flowed. That is because that was the moment God had chosen to download what he wanted for life group that night. Now, if I'd thought, oh, it's only six o'clock, I'm not going to get up for another hour and a half. The heating doesn't come on till half past seven, God, really. I'd have missed out big time, and I'd probably have struggled with getting what God wanted. I could have cobbled something together, but that's not what it's about. It's what God wants. So when he says, come and talk with me, let's be proactive and say, here I am. I'm listening. The next one, put your confidence in God. Psalm 57, 7. My heart is confident in you, O God. No wonder I can sing your praises. Notice heart is in all of these scriptures. Thoughts of my heart. My heart has heard you say. My heart responds. My heart is confident in you, O God. You know, in the prayers of the Old Testament, we read David's prayers and Nehemiah's prayers and so on. They all go back and recall what God has done. They all go back and give a sort of potted history of what God has done for them. They're putting their confidence in God. They're reminding themselves of what God has done. And and they're affirming in their spirits that what he did then, he'll do now. So let our confidence not be in ourselves, but be in God. Then Psalm 73, 26 tells us that he is the strength of our hearts. So my health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. He is ours forever. Our bodies will grow old. They'll grow weak. We'll die. But that's the flesh. But our hearts will remain strong in God. But it's important that we've got stuff in our hearts. You know, we eat, don't we? We eat stuff that makes us strong. I blotted my copybook the other day because I was looking after Charlie and Esther. And um, I gave Esther too much of something. I should have given her two meatballs and I gave her four. So when Jimmy came back, he said, she didn't eat her rice. I said, no, but she ate all her meatballs. How many did you give? I said, four. He said, four? She only ever has two. I said, well, it will make her grow, won't it? It's meat, it will make her grow. He said, yes, but it will do other things as well, and I've got to change her nappy. But, you know, we eat food that makes us grow, that makes us physically strong. So we need to eat food that makes us spiritually strong. And that's this word. Then Psalm 111, verse 1, thankful heart. 
I will thank the Lord with all my heart. And you know, as we thank God, our, everything changes. If you get up in the morning and you're feeling a bit rubbish, start to thank God. Thank God for this new day. Thank God that the sun is shining or the rain is raining. Thank God that you've got food on the table. Thank God for the comfy bed you've slept in. Thank God that you've got a roof over your head. Thank God you can hear that bird singing in the garden. And as you do that, you know, everything changes. Everything changes. Everything. So let's be a thankful people. And then Psalm 103, verse 1, a praising heart. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. So feed our hearts. We need to fill our hearts with good things from God. And then we need to ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill us. That we would then have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Every day we need to be topped up filled with the Holy Spirit. And then those good things that are planted in our hearts will come out in the words that we speak, in our reactions, our attitudes, our behavior. So, we have a choice. Are we going to ask God to show us things that have wounded us Things that trip us up, behavior, words, attitudes, reactions, things that cause us to stumble, that stop us being, or our lives being a good testimony to God. It's our choice. We can go on being wounded soldiers. Or we can be whole soldiers. But we do need to be soldiers. We are soldiers, whether we like it or not. As Chris was saying and Phil was saying, we're in an army, and it's God's army. And you know, when the Israelites went into the promised land, God gave them the instruction to utterly destroy the pagan nations living there. But they didn't do it. And those nations became a thorn in the flesh to them. And when they'd been in the promised land for, well, it took seven years, I think, to conquer the land. And then they allocated everyone, every tribe an area of land. And then there was peace in the land. And then Joshua dies, and the generation of leaders that were with Joshua die. And the next lot, who didn't know or didn't see firsthand what God had done, started to worship the gods of the pagan nations among whom they lived. And after a while, God said, right, now then, you lot that are alive now, you never really learned how to fight because it was your forefathers who took the land. And so... You're going to learn to fight now because there are these pockets of Canaanites and Hivites and Jebusites and all the otherites. 
And so you're going to have to learn how to fight. And we're going to have to learn how to fight. If you haven't already learned, now's your chance. Because those things that are in us, God's saying, come on now, you can do this, but you've got to fight. It's like Chris was saying earlier, we've got to do our part. And when, um, I'm not sure, it's in Judges, and I can't tell you the number and, number and you know, the chapter and verse, but God sends them to fight, or they go to fight um, one of the armies that are coming against them. And God says, I will give them to you. You will be victorious, but you've got to go and fight. And as soon as they start to fight, God causes chaos in the enemy camp. And the enemy is completely wiped out. But they had to go and start. They had to go and step out in faith. They had to go and act on what God had told them. And we've got to act on what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And if we've never learned how to do spiritual warfare, now we're going to learn. And in these days ahead, we're going to need to know how to do it. We're not on our own because God's with us and he's given us everything we need. He's given us the blood of the lamb. He's given us the word of our testimony. He's given us the tools of prayer, praise, worship. He's given us his word. He's given us the armor, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He's given us everything we need to be victorious, but we've got to do it. We've got to pick up the sword. We've got to pick up the shield of faith. We've got to activate the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We've got to declare stuff. And we've got to open our hearts if we want to and say, okay, God, I have an issue with anger. I've got pain in my heart because of loss or rejection or whatever it might be. I was abused. I was bullied. I'm still carrying that, that wound, Lord. But I don't want to carry it anymore. So I'm asking you today to come in, to come in and heal me, to come in and mend my broken heart, to come in and cause me to stand strong and straight, full of faith, ready, ready to be part of the army of God. You know, I said earlier that you are precious to God. He died for you. He died for me. That's how precious we are. We have to remember the power, the power of the blood of the Lamb. The blood of Jesus breaks every curse, every curse, every negative word, every put down, every spoken word that has hurt you. The blood of Jesus will break and nullify. The blood of Jesus destroys every fear, every fear. The blood of Jesus breaks every torment of the past, every torment of the past. He does not want you to relive anything that has tormented you in any way, shape, or form. The blood of Jesus breaks every every torment of the past. But we have to appropriate it. We have to say, thank you, Jesus. I want to apply that blood to this 
circumstance, to this word, to this fear, to this trauma that I can't seem to get rid of. So let's receive our healing. Let's have our broken hearts mended. Because, you know, when we have our broken hearts mended, we can be vessels of hope and healing to other people. And we have a testimony, and we can be a witness. I'm just going to finish with this scripture. Matthew 5, 16, where Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your moral excellence and your praiseworthy noble deeds and recognize and honor and praise and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So yes, God wants us whole. But when we're whole, we glorify our Father in heaven. It's all about Jesus. It's all about letting our lights shine. It's all about being able to say to our neighbor, you know, I suffered whatever, but Jesus made me whole. And he will make you whole. Would you like me to pray for you? It's about shining out there in a dark world. Shining for Jesus. Not shining saying, I'm all right. It's not about that. It's a declaration of the goodness of God in the land of the living. That our words and our deeds and our moral excellence bring honor and praise and glory to our Father who is in heaven. Amen. Thank you, Kat. That was powerful. We're going to close actually with this song. We're going to close worship, close our service this morning with this song, Jesus. Wherever we are, whatever we might find ourselves in this morning, maybe the Lord is saying, give it to me today. Hand it over. Maybe that experience, that pain, that hurt, whatever, that issue, that symptom. Allow him to deal with the root right at the bottom. Let's arise. We sing the song.